Welcome to the Science Update Podcast. I'm Bob Hershon, and this is the podcast for December 20th, 2013. The Science Update Podcast is produced by AAAS, advancing science, serving society. The birds that are typically involved in the most aggressive mobbing are the more dominant individuals in the area. These birds that are moving into this new habitat as it becomes available are not necessarily the biggest and strongest. They may be the weakest. There was an advantage for the cats, at least initially, but then ultimately also an advantage for the humans once they realized that cats would help to keep the rodents out of the grain stores. This week, the origins of ancient house cats, the length squirrels will go to hide their nuts, and how global warming is creating a new breed of Arctic explorers, of the avian variety that is. But first, Suzanne Bard reports that after eight years, some crows are still holding a grudge. In 2008, we reported that crows remember the faces of people who captured them, even if the face is really just the same mask worn by different people. Well, eight years after the original experiment on the University of Washington campus, the crows are still afraid of the same mask, even though most of the original birds that were captured by people wearing the mask have died. This according to wildlife biologist John Marsluff. We continually test the birds a couple times a year just to see if the response is there, and it is. The birds still remember it, although that masked person hasn't done anything bad to them for eight years. And the thing is, is that each time a bird responds and scolds that mask, it's a new learning opportunity for everybody else. Now, he and his team have found that the amygdala, an area of the brain associated with learned fear, becomes active when the crows see someone in a capturer's mask. And that's the same sort of response that you would see if you saw somebody that you learned was dangerous. In contrast, when crows see the mask of someone who has fed them, a part of the brain associated with reward switches on. They show a response in the appetitive area and the striatum of the brain, which suggests they have an expectation of reward, basically, coming from this individual who's been feeding them. But masks with totally novel faces elicited no response at all. Their brain is very unreactive to it. Marsleff and his team also study crow mobbing. You've probably seen this before out in nature or even in a city park. Crows can often be seen antagonizing and chasing after hawks. But why do something that puts themselves in danger? Marsloff explains that on balance, mobbing, which rarely leads to fatalities, can be worth the risk. It has been shown that there is a great benefit from doing this sort of behavior, and that is it moves a predator out of an area, so it does help their survivorship to participate in this risky behavior. It also has probably a social benefit, and that is the birds that are typically involved in the most aggressive mobbing are the more dominant individuals in the area, and they are probably demonstrating their dominance by being involved in this mobbing as well. In these corvid societies, there's oftentimes a need to re-establish or re-advertise your dominance. Back in the lab, Marsla's team has shown that when a crow sees a hawk, an area of the brain involved in decision-making becomes active. The area called the nidopallium caudolaterale, the analogous places are prefrontal cortex in a mammal or a human. So it's more of a decision-making. Maybe they're deciding or torn in a decision to attack or flee under that situation. So that gives us some insight into 
kind of why they might be involved in this mobbing. So, for example, when they see a hawk, they may be more of a decision-making. Is it worth the cost relative to the benefit? And those benefits may be social as well as moving a predator on. He says the brain studies they've been conducting are preliminary, and they hope to find out more about the neural correlates of crow behavior in the future. Thanks, Suzanne. In other bird news, Gamble's white-crowned sparrows migrate thousands of miles every year to breed at Tulik Lake in the Arctic Circle. But recently, some birds have begun nesting up to 150 kilometers north of there due to climate change. UC Davis biologist John Wingfield and his team set out to discover what makes an avian pioneer. These birds that are moving into this new habitat as it becomes available are not necessarily the biggest and strongest. They may be the weakest and smallest that couldn't make it in the main territorial range and were forced out onto the perimeter. Instead, what appears to set these birds apart is a highly variable response to the harsh, unpredictable environment, as measured by stress hormones. So now we think one possible mechanism that makes a pioneer is a very, very flexible response to acute stress. The first clear evidence of humans domesticating cats comes from 4,000-year-old Egyptian artifacts. But recently, researchers found cat bones in China that suggest humans and cats were starting to live together more than a thousand years earlier. Suzanne has that story. Chinese archaeologists recently excavated the bones of two cats, dating back 5,300 years, from the site of an ancient farming village. Zooarchaeologist Fiona Marshall of Washington University in St. Louis worked with the Chinese Academy of Sciences to interpret the findings. Chemical isotopes in the bones showed that the cats were eating rodents, which in turn were eating millet, the grain that farmers in the village were cultivating. So it shows us that there was an advantage for the cats, at least initially, but then ultimately also an advantage for the humans once they realized the cats would help to keep the rodents out of the grain stores. Unlike the ancient Egyptians a thousand years later, it's unclear whether these Chinese villagers deliberately fed the cats or kept them in their homes. But it may represent a key transitional step towards their popularity as pets today. Thanks, Suzanne. A listener wrote to ask whether it's true that squirrels will steal nuts buried by other squirrels. Well, researchers have long known that squirrels do indeed rob their fellow rodents. As a result, squirrels have to be ever vigilant. To see how this plays out, I'm taking my microphone out to my backyard. Right now, I'm pretending to be a foreign squirrel digging around the yard. Hear that? That's the warning call of a big squirrel who's claimed this territory. He's not at all happy about my poking around here. Studies have shown that now that I've shown interest in this squirrel's food, he'll dig up his less secure nuts and bury them elsewhere. Other studies have shown that if squirrels think they're being watched, they'll pretend to bury a nut while actually hiding it against their fur. Then they'll nonchalantly hop behind a bush and quickly bury it away from prying eyes. That's our show for this week, but if you're feeling starved for science, tune into the Science Update Podcast Daily Edition every day, Monday through Friday. You can find it on our website, scienceupdate.com, or at iTunes. You can also check out Science Update's fan page on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. And if you have a science question, give us a call at 1-800-WHY-IS-IT. If we use your question, we'll send you a Science Update mug. Thanks for listening. I'm Bob Hershon for AAAS, the Science Society. 